Scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the Gospel of St. Mark, Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 33. It is the account of the healing of the deaf and mute man. And Jesus took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the magician's pen and teller are estimated to be worth $400 million on their combined net worth. David Copperfield, one of the top acts in Las Vegas, is estimated to be worth over $1 billion. Uh, draws about $60 million a year from his shows in Las Vegas. We love to be astonished. We love to be amazed, and we'll put money out to be amazed and impressed. We love to see things that appear to manipulate the normal laws of nature and to do things that seem above and beyond that. Now, with these magicians, of course, it's all an illusion. But people in Jesus' day were just as astonished to see miraculous things take place as well. And yet these weren't just a mere illusions. These were true, actual miracles where the power of God would override the normal, if you want to call them, rules of nature that bind all of us. St. John writes this in Jesus' day. Large crowds followed Jesus because they saw the miraculous signs he was performing on those who were sick. Even King Herod, who plays a role in having Jesus ultimately executed, one of those trials, even King Herod, we're told, for a long time hoped to see Jesus perform some miracle. Josephus, a non-Christian historian at the time of Jesus, writes this about the, the rumors swir swirling around this man. Jesus was one who performed surprising deeds, he says. Now, Jesus certainly uses these miraculous things to display his compassion and his care for people. And quite often his miracles are doing just that, to show his love and, and tender care for someone. And yet, at the same time, it's very clear that that this is not the primary purpose of his ministry and his reason for coming into the world. He didn't come into the world simply to bring earthly relief for different troubles that, that we have. So this deaf man, for instance, for instance, did he possibly, in old age, start to lose his hearing again? The young man of Nain, who Jesus raised back to life again from the dead, right on his coffin, how many years later did he die? Did he die before he was 40? Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old, who was raised to life from the dead, did she maybe contact another deadly disease before she was 20? Now, there was to be no doubt in this incident that Jesus is the one performing this miracle. Everything he does sets it up to make it very clear and obvious that he is the, the, the powerful one that is causing all of this. Listen again. He took him aside, put his finger in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he spoke to him. 
It's all orchestrated to, to demonstrate that he is the one performing the miracle. God will not be robbed of his glory. God will not be robbed of his glory. And so there's an attention to all of this to show that Christ really is the very Son of God who has come into the world. Now notice something here too, the way, the method that Jesus uses to ultimately heal this man. He take, takes all of his divine power as the true Son of God and packages it down into one little word that he speaks to this man and this causes his ears to open and his tongue to be loosed. We're told immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. So the same word that, that the Son of God used to call all things into existence, that even right now is sustaining the earth and environment and everything about it that we live in. The very powerful word that made all of that happen and keeps it happening is what he now uses to speak to this man and to loosen all of this. One of the commentators that I was studying for this text had a very interesting illustration. He said, imagine a powerful storm that's riding above a mountain. A very powerful storm. And on one side of the mountain, it's causing destruction. There's lightning and there is a mudslide and it's, it's causing fires to take place. The trees are burning on one side of the mountain. But on the other side of the mountain, that same powerful storm is, is dropping a, a, a very gentle rain. And soon thereafter, there will be trees and grass and, and flowers that are growing. And he said, think of that storm kind of like the word of God in the world. It has two great forces in it, two great powerful forces. And, and the, the very word that Jesus uses, that powerful word to open this man up, is also used to close the mouth of Zacharias and make him mute before the birth of his son, John the Baptist. So the power of God's word divides into two great forces as it goes out into the world. They're both from the same source, the same cloud, if you will, and that is God's almighty power and his absolute holiness. But on the one side, it causes a condemning nature. It, it has a condemning power to it in that word of God. It can crush, it can destroy, it can condemn. There's a man in the Old Testament named, named Uzzah who broke the word of God and was struck dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant. We think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come to arrest him and he simply announces that he is Jesus and they all fall to the ground. We think of Ananias and Sapphira who lie and the early church lie to the Holy Spirit and St. Peter is there and announces their death. So that powerful word of God has a condemning nature to it. It's the same condemning nature that goes into my heart and into my conscience and shows me my sin and shows me my guilt and pricks my conscience and makes me realize that there's a God out there that I have to answer to and it terrifies me. And it's the one that reminds me of my mortality that someday I'm going to be in a grave. That's the, the powerful deadly force, the condemning force that part of the cloud that can burn the side of the mountain. But that same wonderful storm cloud has life in it. It can sprinkle down the dew and the rain of God's grace and forgiveness. And on this side, that same powerful cloud vivifies, we say. That means it gives life, it creates life and sustains life. And you can see it in miraculous events that Jesus does. The lepers are cleansed of their leprosy. 
He speaks to that dead corpse of the young man of Nain and he sits up. He gives him back to his mother. Lazarus is called out of his grave. This is the vivifying, the life-giving power that God puts in that word. That's why Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And he takes that same word and attaches it to your baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He attaches it likewise to the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. And he says, do this, speak my word over these elements, and now you have my body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. He uses that same powerful word from the mouths of sinful dying men, pastors who stand in front of you. And yet through that powerful word that comes out of us, there is life-giving spirit to cause faith to be worked in your heart. As Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The very miracle, and I use that word intentionally, the very miracle of faith that is alive in your heart right now, that causes you to repent of your sins, that causes you to cherish the forgiveness of all of your sins that Jesus won for you by his death on the cross, the very faith inside of you that's looking forward to someday going to heaven and that loves God and wants to care about the things of God, that miracle that's worked inside of you is because of the same word that opened this man's ears and mouth. What will be the last word that you say from your lips before you die? What will be the last word that you hear in your life before you die? We don't like to think of that. But at some point, our ears and our tongues will be stopped and frozen in the grave. But the Bible tells us that those who have faith in this Savior, that same powerful Christ is going to return to the earth on the final day, and by the power of his word, he will command your body to rise out of the sod and to come forth from your grave. Listen to what Paul says. Then the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. Just think what that's going to look like all around the world. When this life-giving word is proclaimed over the graves of God's faithful who have been holding on to Christ for their hope of heaven. And on that day, your tongue will again be loosened up to sing God's praises forever. And your ears will once again be opened up to hear the choir of the angels singing above. How grateful we will be on that day for this powerful word that has gone into us. O oh Lord, open my lips. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Please turn, if you would, to page 161 in the front part of the hymn book, page 161. And we will use prayer number 105. Prayer number 105. Please join me. Almighty and everlasting God, who created all things, we thank you that you have given us sound bodies and have graciously preserved our tongues and other members from the power of the adversary. We beseech you, grant us your grace that we may rightly use our ears and tongues Help us to hear your word diligently and devoutly, and with our tongues so to praise and glorify your grace, that no one is offended by our words, but that all may be edified by them, 
through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen.
And now may the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in his peace. Amen.